that was essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, sort of the final straw with the ventilators. Huge PR coup. I mean, the boxes that carried the supplies were labeled from Russia with love. Out of an abundance of caution for the safety of those impacted by COVID-19, as well as medical professionals and institutions, the ventilators in question were disposed in July. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. I'm recording this on Friday, October 23rd. And on today's show, I'm speaking to BuzzFeed news correspondent Chris Miller, who writes about Eastern Europe, as well as U.S. national security and foreign policy. In this episode, we'll discuss the 45 ventilator machines Russia shipped to New York City in April 2020 as part of what became a humanitarian exchange with the United States. But what should have been a heartwarming display of cooperation in challenging times quickly became a political boondoggle. American hospitals were unable to use the life-saving machines from Russia due to a lack of adapters to convert their required electrical voltage. Subsequently, a few weeks after the Aventa M ventilators were delivered, several of the same models reportedly burst into flames at two hospitals in Moscow and St. Petersburg, killing six people and raising concerns about the device's safety. The ventilators also became politically toxic in the United States after U.S. officials completed the equipment exchange with Russia by shipping medical supplies worth several times more what Moscow sent to New York. Additionally, the Russian machinery's manufacturer, Concern Radioelectronic Technologies, a Rostec subsidiary, is currently under U.S. sanctions imposed against Moscow. The White House officials say the sanctions don't apply to medical supplies. Just a few days ago, on October 19th, Chris reported at BuzzFeed News that the U.S. Federal Emergency Management Agency, FEMA, essentially tossed the Russian ventilators in the trash. To find out more about this decision by the U.S. government, Medusa invited Chris Miller onto this podcast. I wanted to know what you can tell me about the exchange of medical equipment between Russia and the United States? Because at first glance, it seems like, you know, kind of a nice humanitarian gesture. And I remember when the ventilators came in from Russia, somebody was, I don't know if this, how they were monitoring it, maybe it's public information or whatever, but like the the control tower at the like New York airport that was receiving the flight or whatever, there was this like real nice, like warm exchange of like, you know, thanks guys, like we need this. And, you know, New York was really under fire at the time. You know, it seemed like a nice moment. And it was also something that we might not have expected from, you know, countries that are led by two sort of notoriously zero-sum-minded leaders who are often the two countries are at odds if the leaders aren't necessarily at odds anymore. And it was just kind of, it seemed like it was going to be nice. But can you tell me just background, kind of how did that exchange come about? What was it exactly? There was this welcoming, warm greeting from the control tower in the U.S. to the pilots on the Russian plane carrying these ventilators. The whole reason that this delivery came about was because the U.S. was in March and April very hard hit by the pandemic and the states of New York and New Jersey in particular were in really bad shape. Hospitals were filling up. There were very serious cases that required ventilators. And I believe Governor Cuomo of New York, as, as well as governors in other states, were sort of raising this alarm that 
hospitals in their states just didn't have enough ventilators for these very serious COVID-19 cases. And around the same time, Donald Trump was on the phone with his Russian counterpart, Vladimir Putin, discussing possible cooperation. And apparently the two came to an agreement. And Vladimir Putin offered to send over medical supplies that the U.S. was in short uh, supply of, such as masks and these ventilators. And so Putin sends 45 Aventa M ventilators to the U.S. And FEMA takes them when they arrive here and I guess sends them to, let's see, about, I think, I think 15 went to New Jersey and 30 went to New York, if I'm correct. And they are to be deployed to hospitals in need. They actually distributed them when they landed. They, it wasn't like, let's have a look at these things back in the lab <laughs> and see if they're up to snuff. They actually just said, okay, put them on the trucks out to the hospitals. Well, they, 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 took them to, they took them to facilities. I don't think they were ever deployed to hospitals, but they were essentially put into these uh, storage areas. Well, actually, they were they were delivered to warehouses, like the Ark and Indiana Jones kind of style. Right, right, right. So FEMA, FEMA did actually tell me that, that. So they were delivered to warehouses owned by the states, but they were held in reserve. And at first, FEMA didn't say why that was, and and we would find out later that it was because of a voltage issue. The voltages of these ventilators differ from those of the American ones and our electrical systems different than that of Russia's. And so they were trying to figure out whether or not these could actually be used here. Do you have any sense of how serious, I mean, I realize that this is a serious enough a problem that it prevented them from being used at first and indefinitely, I guess. I guess to like the layman, it sounds like just get an adapter or I don't I mean I, is it is it do you have any sense if it's really as, as difficult as more difficult than just getting an adapter or something because it sounds like it shouldn't be a, a, a huge obstacle at the same time it also it's also like how didn't they see that one coming <laughs> is it just- well my I, I'm not an electrician sure but my my the, the way it was explained to me was that you don't want to really take any chances with what is supposed to be a life-saving device. That's a, that's you know, a good point. <laughs> you, we, have, we have surge protectors and adapters that we use to plug in our laptops or <laughs> our phones or something else, right? right? I do not that our, when I'm traveling lungs, to yeah. Russia or in Ukraine. <laughs> right. But you know, when you have somebody who is plugged into one of these life-saving devices, you don't want the machine to overheat, to spark, to, to die while someone's hooked up to it and you've got medical professionals out of the room, right? You don't know what's going to happen. So I think there was a lot of trying to troubleshoot and, and think of how they could be utilized. But at the same time, the way FEMA described it to me only recently was that they, they, they also started getting ventilators from U.S. companies. And so the need for these ventilators dissipated a little bit because hospitals were, were becoming better at treating patients. And we were also finding out at that time that in some cases, ventilators may have actually worsened a patient's situation. And then also, if you recall, the U.S. government you know, or ordered um, several private companies to start producing en masse these these ventilators for use. And so the way FEMA describes it was that, you know, by the time 
they were already sort of in the process of troubleshooting. There were enough ventilators to go around. But also, while this is happening, there's this other element that that that, that surfaces or or problem rather, and that's in in May, in early May, it, right around end of April, early May. If you recall, in Moscow and in Saint Petersburg, a handful of these Russian ventilators, the same model that were sent to the U.S., caught fire at hospitals in Russia and are believed to have caused the deaths of six patients being treated for the coronavirus. And I, I think the the company that made these Russian ventilators has come out and said, you know, that it wasn't our ventilators; it was something else at the hospital. I think I saw the Moscow Times link to a report earlier this summer that concluded that the ventilators weren't responsible. But again, I think the company was involved in this. So obviously they would have a stake in the outcome of that, uh, of that investigation. FEMA also said that, you know, this was an issue they were looking at and considering. And when they saw these reports, as I reported back in, in May and, and reached out to them for comment on, they said that was essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, sort of the final straw with the ventilators. And they removed them from these state warehouses and brought them back to one FEMA uh, warehouse where they were just going to be stored until they decided what to do with them. And then that brings us to this past week when I reached out to FEMA to follow up on whatever happened with the ventilators and they said we had dis we we've disposed of them. And they didn't say when and they didn't get into specifics how, but they just said, you know, following certain health guidelines, they disposed of all 45 Russian ventilators. So essentially they tossed them in the trash after several months of them sitting around. The two things that strike me about that is is one that FEMA is is basing policy on, you know, like articles it reads in the in the media, I guess, which I mean, I don't know how unusual that is, but it's it, there's the, you, you you're aware of no evidence that they actually conferenced with either the manufacturer, which is under sanctions, so presumably they wouldn't have a direct line there, but also Russian health officials. They just you're paraphrasing when you say it was the last straw, but presumably that means that they're aware, you know, of news headlines or something, and that they're that is influencing their decision, as far as you can tell. That's what I. That's what it seemed like when I reached out to FEMA. Yeah. I didn't get the. I didn't get the impression that they were aware of all of the reports that had surfaced about these ventilators apparently exploding and, and causing fires in these hospitals in St. Petersburg and Moscow. It sounded like my inquiry was the first time they were hearing either about all of these cases or about the extent of them. So as you're telling them about this, they're like, well, that's the final straw. <laughs> I mean, I, that's the impression that I got. Yes. When they, when they came back, right, when right, they right. came back, you know, with their, with their comment and, and said, yeah. you know, give us some time in, in between right, the first, in between the first inquiry, yeah, I see what you mean. which was over email and then several other follow-up exchanges and some calls, they finally came back with a statement that they had prepared for me and, you know, said we've removed, uh, or, ordered the 45 ventilators to be removed from their warehouses and to return to this one FEMA warehouse, right? From both from both states. At that time, they didn't say that they were going to be disposing of them, just that they were going to be rethinking whether or not they could be they could be used. But you know, there wasn't this is this is just one kind of little piece of the whole ventilator debacle. You know, the US, as I mentioned earlier, the, the US was so desperate for ventilators at one point that there was really no, no 
checking on the, the the quality of these ventilators or where they were coming from, whether they were, you know, the, the, the quality of them was at the level that the quality of American-made ventilators is. And so, you know, Russia, in, in what was clearly a PR coup, offered to send these 45 ventilators to a country that did need ventilators at the time. But it it sent ventilators that it likely knew were faulty or or not high quality. It sent them from a company that is under U.S. sanctions. So then to top it off, the, the U.S. is meant to pay for the delivery. And that sparks questions on the U.S. side, given the relationship between the U.S. and Moscow. Russia ends up backtracking a bit and saying, I think it, I think it was uh, Maria Zakharova from, from the foreign ministry who says, oh, we're, we're only going to charge the U.S. for half of this delivery. Half of it is a, is a gift. Um, it's humanitarian aid. But it's remarkable because it, when it was first delivered, it, the headlines in the Russian press were, this is humanitarian aid all the way. Oh, it was a huge, it was a huge PR coup. I mean, the boxes that carried the supplies were labeled from Russia with love. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> they really, you'd think, you would think that they would be the ones who hate that phrase and that kind of joke more than anybody, but I, I swear. Right. They'd love it. In the end, Russia, Russia decides not to charge the U.S. for this, for, for this, for, for these ventilators, for this humanitarian shipment at all. But that is because Putin and Trump have another phone call and they decide that there's going to be a mutual swap of humanitarian aid. At the, at, by the time the Russian aid had arrived and been distributed throughout the U.S., and some of it was used, masks and whatnot, the U.S. had put together a plan for humanitarian aid that it was going to send back to Russia to help it with its particular shortages and needs. And so the Russian aid that came over was worth a little bit over $1 million. And in this mutual swap of humanitarian aid, the U.S. put together a package that was worth around $5.6 million. So the U.S. went from being told it would have to pay for the Russian equipment to not having to do so because they came up with this idea of a swap that made a lot of taxpayers here in the U.S. pleased that, you know, they thought, okay, this would be a a mutual exchange. Taxpayer money wouldn't be used to purchase these ventilators that had essentially been shelved. But in the end, it was a very lopsided deal. And, you know, one way to look at it is the U.S. paid a lot more for the supplies and faulty equipment at that than Russia did. And, and certainly, you know, Moscow got the better end of the bargain out of this, getting $5.6 million of supplies, including 200 American-made ventilators, masks, and other PPE. Do you have any sense of the, it, the figure being five times more with what the United States sent to Russia? Is that like on the global open market? Or, does that, does, or is it possible that because... You know, like production costs are lower in Russia because I guess the the it's, this is like purchasing power parity, I believe, because it's often when you talk about your military spending, it's like, oh, you know, Russia's way down here and, and America's way up here. It's so it's so imbalanced, but in fact, you know, you get a lot more sort of bang for your buck, so to speak, in Russia. And so maybe they're if you if you when you when you kind of un, unpack it in by purchasing power parity, you, if I'm using that phrase right, I'm not an economist. Russia's military expenditures are considerably more than they seem. 
Do you have any sense? Is that the case with the ventilators, or that's that's not it? I, I I can't say for sure whether or not that's that's the case, but I would I would assume that you know that is something that is that that should be taken into consideration. But again, I think if you look at the amounts, even if you adjust for that, you said two hundred American ventilators, right? Even if you adjust for that, yeah. Even if you adjust for that, I think I think if you look at the number of ventilators that each side swapped, and the fact that forty the forty five that Russia gave were never used because they could not be used. And and they were likely faulty and 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 caused fires. Then you, you see that the U.S. got the bum deal. We know anything about the voltage on the American ones? Are the Russians going to be able to turn those on? I don't know. I you know I did reach out to Russia's health ministry and and, and officials over there to fig you know to find out where these ventilators were going to be distributed and how they were being used. And I didn't get any kind of response. They just weren't as 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 open as FEMA has been about this whole thing. Do you have any sense of why they were tossed out? Why wouldn't they just be returned or given to some other country that has the appropriate voltage? Like, is it? You said it was a regulatory issue. Is it because they were deemed essentially to be possibly unsafe, and so they, it would be unethical even to give them to anybody? Is that kind of the thinking? I think so. I mean, I can read you a line. Actually, by the time between the time you reached out to me for this podcast and this morning, I got another email from FEMA that provided a little bit more well, context this and is, background. This is a podcast exclusive. It, it, is, it is actually. Here you go. So I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it straight from the FEMA statement. This is, you know, from from my source at FEMA, who has been the person, you know, giving me the the information about about these ventilators so far. So what they said, and this is a, an answer to your question as well. Out of an abundance of caution for the safety of those impacted by COVID nineteen, as well as medical professionals and institutions, the ventilators in question were disposed in July in accordance with. General Services Administration and Environmental Protection Agency guidelines. That last little bit about how they were disposed of, you know, we knew before, but we didn't know that they were disposed of in July. That was not something that they told me a few days ago. So there you go. There's a little scooplet for you. It was in July that they were disposed of, but they also say that they were, that they did so out of an abundance of caution for the safety of, you know, patients and medical professionals and institutions, right? I mean, that to me, you read between the lines here makes it sound like they were certainly concerned about the fires that were caused at hospitals in Moscow and St. Petersburg. Yeah, because it's not like the medical staff are taking recreational breaths from the ventilators. Right. You've been listening to The Naked Pravda, an English language podcast from Medusa. On today's show, we heard from BuzzFeed News correspondent Chris Miller about his recent report on how FEMA in the United States decided to throw out the 45 ventilators Russia shipped to New York in April as part of a coronavirus relief effort. The Naked Pravda is a podcast from Medusa, our only English language show, and I hope you'll recommend us to your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in to help put this program in front of more people. Thanks for listening and come back soon. Mm -hmm.